Now tonight, uh, I want to give greetings from the New Testament Baptist Church in Laramore, North Dakota. Besides your, uh, your pastor and his wife, how many of you have ever been to Laramore, North Dakota? That's usually the first response. How many of you have ever been to North Dakota? Okay, one, two, three, four, five. And then I just, for my own personal information, how many of you purposely avoided Laramore, North Dakota? <laughs> okay, that's too bad when you come and you get sick. I'm just going to mention this to you. The circumstances of life are so strange, are they not? My wife and I planned um, a, a big trip, and I mean a five-week trip, and we were going to spend most of it in the state of Florida. So my wife and I took basically about a week or so to get there, and uh, we got there on Saturday night, and then on Sunday afternoon, the next afternoon, my wife was in the emergency room, and she spent the next five days basically in bed recovering from the great state of Florida. So we had to escape the state of Florida, and she has been feeling her best since we've been in Missouri. So that's kind of a plus. You know, I'm going to recommend the state. We were here when we were in Bible College in Springfield, and uh, you are very, very fortunate. I hope you understand that, to have a pastor and pastor's wife who are here for such a long period of time, and we've known uh, the Smiths for, for quite a while now. And so they've been good, good friends uh, in the ministry as well as every, every place else in their home and so forth. The time is 629, and they told me that I had 3.0 times 10 to the first power minutes to be able to speak. So I'm going to try to make as much of a benefit from that as possible. Would you please turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10? 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 is really talking about the circumstances of life and really how we respond to those circumstances. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, there's a primary interpretation for the entire chapter of 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and a primary interpretation for 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13. And so if you'll notice, first of all, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. Then we're going to go backwards to verse 1 and go on from there. So in verse 13, the Bible says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. How many of you believe that? All right. But God is faithful. What a promise here who will not suffer you or allow you to be tempted above that you are able. Now these things, these words are not easy to believe because we live in the nasty now and now. But it goes on and says, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. Now keep in mind that verse 13 is really talking about the previous 12 verses. It's somewhat of a summation. And it's telling us that all the things that happen from verse 1 through verse 11, all the situations in life that have happened to you are common to man. I'll just mention, because I think it's helpful... Uh, a lot of times when you see preachers behind the pulpit, you don't think that they've been through certain things. 
And so when I just mentioned that I was sexually molested as a boy by our next door neighbor, and uh, my, my parent, my dad died when I was 12 years old, and um, we lived in the projects in Toledo, Ohio, and uh, several other things. Then you get a little bit older, and those of you who are, uh, have uh, dated when you were growing up, uh, there's something like having a girl that you know you're going to get married to, guys, and she drops you like a hot potato. And uh, I didn't realize that had much of, a, much of an effect on me. But other things that happen, pluses and minuses in my life, um, I gave those as illustrations for a case study in Counseling One, Fundamentals of Counseling. And one of, the, one of the students said, you actually should be a whack job after all of these things that happen in your life. But it was a real comfort to me, and this is exactly what I was thinking when I read 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13 when I first got saved. I thought, this is a real comfort to me because when I was going through those situations growing up, I felt very alone. I felt like I'm the only one who's going through this. Nobody knows anything about what I'm going through. Nobody's experienced these things. And it was a comfort to realize that the situations that I had gone through were common to man. It means it happens all over the place. It's, it's not something that's a big, big shock. This has never happened to anybody else. And I have found out in 40 years of pastoring that there are situations in people's lives I feel like telling them, I have never seen anything like this before. But it doesn't make any difference whether we've seen anything like it before. The Bible says it's common to man. And the big promise in that verse that God is faithful, what it simply means is you can trust God. You don't, you don't have to worry about these situations. You don't have to be depressed about this, these situations of life. God's faithful. This is speaking to a, a church a local assembly of saved, scripturally baptized members of the church at Corinth, saying, God will not suffer you. He will not allow you to be tempted or tried above that you are able. But he will, it's a promise from God, he will, with the temptation, also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. Now, the way to escape, when you look from Genesis through Revelation, the the way to escape and be able to bear situations in life, some of which are horrendous, is primarily by continuing to love and trust God and love and trust his word even when you are tempted to doubt them both. Now, we have the word of God, but what is being spoken about in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 comes from the book of Numbers, and it's in the Old Testament, of course, and it's, it's saying all of these things that happened, they're common to man. And so the first thing that we're going to look at is the definition of, uh, of temptation. The definition is, it's a trial, it is a test with a purpose. God allows every temptation and every trial in your life, and for each one of them, God has a purpose. And it's the purpose is for ascertaining your quality, what you're thinking, and how you're going to behave in the particular circumstance. So when you think about the circumstances of life, 
we, we need to remember that God has a purpose in all of them. Otherwise, we can be overwhelmed. When my wife and I planned for months in advance uh, to spend two or three weeks in Florida, we got down there, and it was like, we go to Florida, it makes us sick. We understand how you feel there, Brother Smith. It just made us sick to go to Florida, but we were looking forward to doing all sorts of things, and we just had to say to ourselves, God has a purpose. One of the purposes is so that we would be here tonight, that your pastor would ask me to speak, and that I would deliver this message tonight. So God has a purpose for that circumstance. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here. And usually, when God leads for a message to be preached, there is at least one person who needs it. And since temptations and trials are common to man, all of us really need what God has for us in his word. In 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, you can just jot the verse down if you'd like to, the Bible says in the first portion of 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, the Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of, anybody know the next word? Temptations. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations. Now some people would say, well, duh, that's, that's pretty much a firm grasp of the obvious. Well, we need to be reminded, or God would not have impressed upon the Apostle Peter to write this. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations. He knows how to provide a way of escape that you can bear it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13, I mentioned that this refers back to the first part of the chapter and the temptations in the wilderness, the trials that came about in the wilderness wanderings after Moses led God's people out of Egypt. And so when we go back to verses 1 through 4, the first thing we see is a comparison. So in verses 1 through 4, the Bible says this, Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant or unaware of how that all, I want you to notice that all, all our fathers were under the cloud. In other words, everybody who came out of Egypt, they all were under the cloud, all passed through the sea. We think about crossing the Red Sea. They were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat. Do you notice it's all of them, all of them, all of them. And did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Now, all of you have something in common tonight. The words that I'm saying are bouncing off your eardrums. They're vibrating. You got a hammer in there that's hammering away, and you can hear these sounds. All of you have that one thing in common. You're hearing the message that's being preached. Now, this is a true or false question. Everyone here, all of you, are going to respond exactly the same to this message. True or false? False. In a group like this, some people will respond positively to the message, and some will respond negatively to the message. Some will maybe not respond at all. You can go into a comatose state. It happens. (laughs) All right? But when, when we're looking at this, they all have this one thing in common. All of God's people had certain blessings in common. How many of you have crossed the Red Sea on on dry ground? I didn't think so. But they did. 
Now, what would you think if you had crossed the Red Sea on dry ground? Would you think, at least, could we get a, wow, you know, wow. I, I, and I wonder, just like you, did, there, did fish fall out or something like that out of the waters, you know, the wall and all this stuff. But, but what, a, what a blessing for that to happen. They had all experienced the exact same blessings. True or false? They all responded to God's blessings and all of the signs that God did in Egypt. All of them had the same response. True or false? False. So, however, even though they did have all these blessings, later, when the exact same trials came into all their lives, second, we see a contrast in verse 5. But with many of them, What a sad state of affairs. Many of them. But with many of them, God was not well pleased. How would you like that to be said about you? Not me. I wouldn't want to hear that. And so when you think of that, what? But with many of them, God was not well pleased. What is it saying? It's saying not all of the people responded to the exact same trials that came to all of them. They all experience as the multitude all of the same trials. And so, because not all of them responded correctly, we see the last part of verse uh, 5. It says, with many of them, uh, uh, God was not well pleased. That's the first portion. And we ought to ask ourselves, is God well pleased with my responses to the trials in my life that are common to man. Everyone has the same trials. They're common to you. They're common to others. And everybody does not respond the same to them. So we can come to a conclusion here. Our response is either well-pleasing to God or not well-pleasing to God. In the consequent or the circumstances of your life, what has been your response? Can you say, I believe God is well pleased with my response? I'll have to admit, there are some responses I've had. I knew that quickly. God was not well pleased with my response. It it was probably a response that I had out of anger and so forth. But with many of them, God was not uh, well pleased. And then third, the result of God's displeasure was the last portion now of verse 5. It was condemnation. You had a comparison, you had a contrast, then we have condemnation at the last part of verse 5. For they, who are the they? The many of them that God was not well pleased with? That group, all right? For they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, that's a very nice way of saying they died. They died in the wilderness. In Jude, uh, verse 5, the Bible says, I will therefore put you in remembrance that though you once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them. And then there's the description, 
them that believed not. So when we look at the entire chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and we look back at the book of Numbers and how it's describing everything, what was their main problem? Well, we find it, they find the answer in the book of Hebrews where it says what? And so they were not able to enter in to rest because of their unbelief. Unbelief. So what we need to say is this, all right? Whenever there's a circumstance in life that comes up, whenever there's a trial that comes up in life, we need, need to make sure that we don't step back in unbelief and say, well, I, I just don't, I don't know if I can trust God. When we're sitting in church on a Wednesday night, how many of you know you can trust God? We could all say, well, amen to that, you know. But when we're in the, in the trenches of life and we're going through the circumstances, well, it's another, it's another different thing. When someone cuts you off in traffic and you feel like you're just barely avoided going into the ditch or having an accident, uh, it's, it's really difficult to say, may the Lord bless you as you go, go driving by. Am I right or wrong? The answer is, you're right. Okay. So, so the next thing we want to look at is this, all right? The main problem was that they did what? They believed not. Why in the world did they not believe? Well, we go on to verses 7 through 10, and we see, fifth, the common temptations. All right? There's no temptation, but it's common. And so it's referring back to these verses. These, these things that are mentioned are not outlandish, way out there temptations. They're the very thing that he was describing in verse 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. So sometimes when we're looking at the Old Testament saints, especially those in the, in the wilderness, have you ever thought, as you're reading about their escapades in the wilderness, have you ever thought, how could they be so dumb? You know, you have this statement, as I, I was sharing with Brother Smith. What were they thinking? And then sometimes it's two questions. What were they thinking at all? When you see this, so verse number six, it says this. Now these things were our examples to the intent, in other words, with a purpose in mind, that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. All right? So you have these situations going on, and some of the many responded, and they lusted after evil things. If you want to jot the reference down, Numbers chapter 11 and verse 4. Here's how it begins, and you're saying, boy, they lusted after evil things. I wonder what that evil thing was. Wonder no more. Numbers chapter 11 verse 4 tells us, and the mixed multitude... That was the non-Jewish people that decided they wanted to travel with the, the Jews. They wanted to believe as the Jews believed. The mixed multitude that was among them fell a-lusting. And the children of Israel also wept again. What in the world could possibly be so, so important that they fell a-lusting? And the children of Israel wept again and said, Who shall give us flesh to eat? Let's eat. What, who's going to give us flesh to eat? They were lusting after the temporal. 
Isn't there some place in the scripture that says man shall not live by bread alone? But this was on their mind. And when we say bread, it's talking about all the things that are essential for nourishment and so forth. Who shall give us flesh to eat? They were making a statement that they did not believe God could give them flesh to eat. They were not waiting and they were not willing to wait on God's time. Do you suppose that if God believed that they really needed a high dose of protein that he couldn't have provided flesh for them to eat anytime he wanted to? And wouldn't he be able to, to know exactly the, the, rest, the right timing for it all? And wouldn't you believe that if God knows you actually need something, that he knows the exact timing when you actually need it? See, there's a practical application for each one of us in each of these cases. If we're not careful, we can lust after the temporal also. In Psalm 106 and verse 14, it's describing this situation. It's talking about them, and it says that they lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tempted God in the desert. Verse 15 says, and he gave them their request. Did they, did they get the, uh, the quails? You know, that, that's not a bad, bad bird to eat. You know, quail's all right. Quail under, gra- uh, under glass. I'd rather have it on top of the plate myself. But they lusted exceedingly. They tempted God, and he gave them their request, but sent leanness to their soul. Now, how does that sound today? Well, it sounds like this. I am not satisfied with how God has provided. I'm not satisfied with what God has provided. And what areas would that be? Food. How many of you, uh, well, I was, I was going to say, how many of you would rather have uh, uh, pancakes and bacon for a supper meal? But I'd be the first to raise my hand. <laughs> But I didn't know that that was poor man's food until I got older. I just thought it was the greatest way to to have supper. But sometimes it would be cornbread and cornbread mush, which I learned to love growing up. But some people would say, oh, I I don't like that to eat. And they're what we would call picky eaters. You know, people have problems with their, their palate and they can't handle certain foods. That's okay. But just to say, I just don't like that. I don't want to eat broccoli and so forth, and just fill in the, the food of your choice that you don't like at all, all right? I'm not satisfied with, with how God has provided and what he's provided. It could be food. It could be a place to live. Do you like the place you live? How about your job? Do you love your job? Pastor Schaefer, don't you know that only about 20 to 30% of people actually love their job? The rest of them just tolerate it? Yeah. But we be Christians. How about your spouse? How about your friends? You like the friends that God has provided for you? By the way, your best friends ought to be right here, church members, fellow church members. If you if you love your friends at work more than you love your, your friends at, at church, you ought to be asking yourself, how come? How do you like your church? Are you happy for the church that God has provided? Are you thankful for the pastor that God's provided? See, a lot of times, 
we, we don't realize it's easy to lust after the temporal. Why can't we have so-and-so, etc., as their pastor? Life in general. Are you satisfied with the way God has provided for you and life in general? A lot of times we don't just stop for a moment and say, am I really satisfied or, or do I secretly in, in the back of my mind and in my heart, I, I really am kind of upset with God because of the condition that I'm in. The situation and the condition you're in is common to man. And your response to it is either pleasing to God or not well-pleasing to God. If God wants something different for you, Psalm 27, 14 says, wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. He shall strengthen thy heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. So some of the Some of the folks responded back in the wilderness days, lusted after evil things. In verse 7, some of the many responded and became idolaters. What? How in the world? In Exodus chapter 32 and verse 1, Moses was up on the mount for how many days? Forty days. And Exodus uh, 32 and verse 1 says, And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we what not what is become of him. We don't know what's become of him. Now, did you catch this? Up, make us gods which shall go before us. What they mean is, make some idols that we have to carry before us. Um, They're not gods that are going to carry us through. They're gods that we have to carry. So some of the many responded and became idolaters. Well, what are they really saying? We can't trust God, so we have to make something that we can trust in. We got to come up with something that we can trust. And for all of us as Christians, if we can't trust God, who can we trust? Verse 8, some, once again, some of the many responded and became fornicators. Now, what you're thinking is, wow, we would, we would never think of doing what they did. It's talking about Numbers chapter 25 and uh, verse 1. And Israel ab- abode in Shittim, and the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. By the way, who put them up to that? Remember Balaam, Balak, all right? And uh, they called the people unto the sacrifices of their gods, the people of Moab, and the people did. The people did eat and bowed down to their gods. Wow. Same people that walked across the Red Sea on dry ground, bowing down to some other gods that had not done anything for them at all. 1,500 years after Numbers was, the book of Numbers was written, the Apostle John was moved by the Holy Spirit to write to the church in Pergamos, Revelation chapter 2 and verse 14. Now why am I going all the way to the book of Revelation? Because this problem in Numbers was a problem, a situation common to man. And 1,500 years later, a church had to be warned about it. But I have a few things against thee. 
because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication. Now, if it was a problem in the book of Numbers, and it was a problem basically about 90 AD, do you suppose that's a problem today? One of the most difficult things we have to fight against in the United States is this sex-saturated society. And we can either say, God is sufficient, let, it, let every man have his own wife, let every wife have her own husband, and that's the way we as Christians are going to believe that if God set it up that way, then I'm going to be content that God's way is still the best way. In verse 9, some of the many responded by tempting Christ. Tempting Christ. You'd say, what? How do they tempt Christ? By coming to a point where they hated God's provision for them. Now we would think, hey folks, uh, haven't you caught the idea? It's been 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, coming in on 40 years and you're still alive. Have you noticed when you needed water, God provided water? And when you needed food, he fed you cornbread from heaven? You know, that's the way I look at it. And uh, uh, angels, food, cakes, you got to eat those little wafers, you know. And uh, God's kind of a good God to provide that for you, you know. Uh, Those who believe in socialism would say, what's wrong with you guys? Just getting free meals every day and you're not even happy about it? You're loathing this stuff? But that's exactly what Numbers 21 and verse 4 says. They journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom and the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. And the people spake against God and against Moses. Wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul, problems with our soul, our soul loatheth this light bread, in parentheses, that we're getting for free every morning, and all we have to do is get ourselves out of bed and go out there and pick it up. It's free. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. And they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Why? They hated what God was providing. So you say, how does that happen? Well, the older you get, you are either more and more satisfied and thankful for what God has given to you, or you're more and more dissatisfied with what God is providing for you. Well, I thought I would have money in the bank, savings and so forth, so by the time I I would retire, I'd have plenty of money in the bank and I could kick back and take it easy and so forth. Well, if that has not happened, do we really believe that God has a reason and a purpose for why it has not happened the way we pictured it was going to be? Because we have to be careful in all of these circumstances that we realize they're common to man. We're not the Lone Ranger. We're not going through this by ourselves. Nobody's ever, nobody's knows the trouble I've seen. Well, yeah, there are a lot of people. It's common. 
And then in verse 10, some of the many responded by murmuring. Now that usually hits right at the gut level of independent fundamental Baptist churches. Here it is. Nobody said amen. Numbers 14, verse 29. Here was a response from God. <clears throat> and uh, Moses is, is reviewing this in Numbers 14, verse 29, where the Bible says, Your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness. And all that were numbered of you, according to your whole number, from 20 years old and upward, which have murmured against me. What was going to happen? Their carcasses were going to fall in the wilderness, which is a nice way of saying they're going to die. If there's a nice way of telling somebody they're going to die. But men are said to tempt God or to tempt Christ by exhibitions of distrust. Exhibitions of distrust. And I, I had to stop and think, did I ever, ever have a, an exhibition of distrust? And I was kind of hoping I'd have to wait for a while, but the Lord brought something to my mind right away. And I realized, well, this is common unto man. And I responded incorrectly. An exhibition of distrust. And the, and the statement goes on, as though they wished to try God, whether he is not justly distrusted. In other words, they're looking for a good reason to distrust God. Numbers 14.11 says, And the Lord said unto Moses, How long will this people provoke me, and how long will it be ere they, and the next two words are, believe me, for all the signs which I have showed among them. Has God done anything good for you? Has he ever done anything that you would say, wow, that, that was about as close to miraculous as I can even think of. Do you know people have gone through situations and you say, that, that's miraculous. Mrs. Silcox, it was mentioned earlier, uh, the fact that she's still alive is miraculous. We counted it up. There's, she's broken at least a dozen different bones in her body. And uh, she fell face first into a solid wood dresser and smashed her face and the plates in her face were broken. She, she should have died, but she's still with us. Because God can still give us miracles today. Let me conclude by saying, every big thing and every small thing in life that happens can become a trial that is common to man. How you decide to respond to the circumstances of life will determine whether you receive God's blessings because you have pleased him well or whether you forfeit those blessings because God was not well pleased with your response. In the trials of life, we have to make a decision. Are we going to believe God and are we going to trust him?